when I was growing up, uh, I grew up across the street from my grandparents' house, I've said that many times, um, but I remember, uh, I was probably about five or six years old, uh, and my mom and dad, it was one of those Saturdays where my mom and dad would just like, get away, um, we just want you to go away somewhere, we don't care where, you just aggravate and just leave, like, get out the house. Um, so my mom and dad, I remember they said, go to your grandma's house, right, just go play over there, do something, like, just get away, we got stuff going on or whatever. Um, I, I, I remember when I was, I, they crossed, like I was living on a highway, so like we would, they would cross me across the highway. So I'm walking up to my grandmother's house, and I was probably about six, because I remember seeing her outside in her flower bed. All around her house, she had like some bushes, and like she would put like some little annual flowers out and different things. And I remember I'm walking up to her, and I see her in her hands and knees, and I had never seen this before, and I was like, what are you doing? And she says, oh, I'm weeding my flower bed. And I was like, oh, great, can I help? And she said, yeah, go ahead. So she showed me what, what to pull and like what to do and everything. And I was like, okay, great, this is going to be fun. So she's, she was maybe, she had just started, so she might have been, you know, 15, 20 feet down, the, down her, her flower bed. And this thing wrapped around the house. So I was next to her, and then I'm going, and I'm going, and I'm going, and I'm going, and I'm going. And I come back at the end, and I looked at her, and I said, like 30 minutes later, I looked at her, and I said, I'm done. And she was like, you're finished. She's like, how fast did you go? I was like, oh, it was great. It was easy. I found all the flower, uh, found all the things like you showed me, and I just pulled them, and it's all gone. And she was like, great. She said, where's the pile? We walk over, and I had gotten all the grass, but none of the roots for any of it. And she's like, she's trying to be happy, and she's like, great job, buddy. Way to help. And she's sitting there, I'm going to kill you, right? Like, it, it didn't do anything. You didn't do a thing, right? But she's just trying to be sweet, very grandmotherly, like, oh, you were such a big help today. And I could see in the back of her, like I could see something was off in her eyes. And now looking back, I'm like, she's sitting there thinking, you just wasted my entire afternoon, you little, you know. Like, it was like, I just remember this, this move of like, the, the, this, this being able to recognize the weeds and just pull them. And you had to get the roots out too, right? I, when she was teaching, when she was telling me how to do this, though, but she gave me kind of the reason why you weed a flower bed. She said one of the reasons why is, first of all, it doesn't look good. And second of all, it, what the, the weeds, they take the resources from, they take the food from the good flowers, right? So your flowers aren't as bright, your, your bushes aren't as nice, and your plants don't grow as well because it just, it just siphons off and takes some of the food away from the good flowers. In our gospel today, we hear about this image of weeds and wheat. Jesus uses another parable. Last week he used the whole story about the sower and going out to sow the seed. And it lands on all these different paths and all this kind of on the path and in the vines and in the shallow soil and the good soil. Like we hear about all these different things. Well today he changes it up a little bit, but he uses a similar parable. And he says a man goes out and he, and he, sows, in, he sows good seed in good soil. And when he does, after he does that, his enemy, his rival, comes in and sows bad seed and sows weeds in his field. And what happens, they all start to grow up, and as they all start to grow up, they look alike. A weed, right, is not going to outright attack the wheat. But what it's going to do is it's just going to take some of the nourishment. It's going to take some of the focus. It's going to take some of the, the attention off of the wheat. When Jesus is using this image, he's actually pointing out something that is very, very uh, consequential for us. 
he, he, he doesn't... The first thing he does is he points out very, very clearly that this landowner, who he goes on to explain, is God, and the kingdom of God is the field, right? That this landowner has an enemy. He has an enemy. He doesn't give the sob story of why the enemy is like he is. He doesn't give a background to why the enemy fell from where he was. But he says, this landowner, a good landowner, a holy landowner... God Himself has an enemy. There is a good, which means there is a bad. He clearly lays it out. <clears throat> I think our culture isn't always comfortable with saying that something is outright bad. But we should. When we see evil, you call it out. And the reason why I say that, like, I, I'm, I'm a, I like movies, I like, like being in, like, pop culture world with, like, stuff like that. I remember a few years ago, um, there was a movie that came out that Disney produced called Cruella. And what it was, it was a backstory to Cruella DeVille. Now, you can't find many irredeemable figures in movies and in books and in stories. But when you have a person who wants to kill puppies and her last name is Devil, probably a good one just to leave alone. She's probably just evil. Like, it just is, Right? But they felt the need to like say that no 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 she just is misunderstood no 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 she's just evil it's okay to say that something's evil right the reason why I say that is when we do that culturally sometimes we can do that spiritually as well maybe Satan's not that bad stop <laughs> he is as good as God is Satan wishes he could be that bad. You see, the thing about the devil, the thing about Jesus' parable today, is that he doesn't mix words. Jesus doesn't say, well, there might be some kind of bad, there might be some kind of evil. He calls it out very, very clearly. The thing about the devil is, he's extremely good at his tactics. But he's also very, very boring, because he's only got a handful. He probably doesn't like the fact that I'm saying this. So we're going to put the lights on and we're going to make sure all the roaches come out today, okay? The devil, we, we could say his tactics are, we, let, let's, use, let's say there are three and let's use these for all of them. He likes to use doubt. He likes to use deception. And he likes to divide. From the very, very beginning of Scripture, the opening, the opening chapters of Scripture, we hear how the devil uses doubt. Adam and Eve are in the garden. They are in absolute paradise. Every piece of food, every animal, in absolute bliss. Heaven on earth. Perfection. No sin. Everything's great. Everything's wonderful. And the devil, when he speaks, casts doubt on God's command. Did God really say you, can, you can't eat of that tree? Did God really say this, is not, this isn't the right thing to do? Did God really say that what, what's actually happening is God's afraid that you're going to be like Him? And He starts to get them to doubt the goodness and faithfulness of God, of their Creator. But the devil can get Adam and Eve to do it, his tactic hasn't changed. How many times do you hear the question of, does God really exist? Prove it. 
Does, does, does any of this really matter? Why do you go to that Catholic church? You can do so much other stuff on your Sunday. The devil can get us to doubt God's goodness, God's existence. Well, he starts to find a crack in the foundation. Well, once we once we compromise the God's like the, the the God spot in our life, if you will, right? If once we start to 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 compromise and question if that is a thing, well, then He can get us with deception. Well, maybe the thing, if God's not going to fulfill your desire, maybe something of the world can. If if God's not going to care about you, then maybe you can put your trust in something else. Your own will. Your own, your own ability. So like, I need to get that promotion. I need to get that house. I need to have that relationship. I need those, this many kids. I need to have a life that looks this perfect because Instagram's real. Like, I need to make sure that these things are right in my life. I need to make sure that this is the, okay and this isn't. I, I need to make sure that my political party's in, in power and not the other guy. Because that's going to fix everything. If I only had a bigger house, if I only had a nicer car, if I only had a bigger boat, if I only could take those vacations, if I only had this job, if I only had this status, if I only had that girlfriend or boyfriend, if I only had, then I'll be happy. The devil loves to use deception to make us think that those things will actually fulfill. Because everything I just said is going to end at some point. Every one of them. It's going to end. Then finally, when he really gets his claws, he likes to divide. He likes to turn people against each other. He likes to turn the cultural movements against each other. And now we can take out our hate and vitriol to the people on the other side of the issue. Take your pick. And all the isms work their way in. This is not new for our culture and our world today. This has been his tactics since the beginning, and it's going to be his tactics well beyond today. That's how the devil sows. That's how the enemy comes in and sows the weeds into the, into the kingdom of God. You see, the, the, the thing that happens, though, and this is where we make a mistake. I'm, I'm convinced that I know for me, when I, when I look at the world through this kind of lens and I start to see how much deception and how much doubt and how much division actually reigns in our world and in our culture and on Facebook and on Instagram and everywhere else, when all people are yelling back and forth in YouTube channels and people screaming at each other, right, talking heads thinking that they know something about the world, like when this kind of stuff goes on, what we find ourselves that one of the biggest problems that happens is we think that the fight is out there. We think that the fight is out in the culture. 
That these massive big movements and, 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 and different things are going to be the things that are going to change the world. They won't. We're going to take a lesson from one of my favorite people of all time. His name is Bugs Bunny. Bear with me. <laughs> old cartoons in Looney Tunes used to have very, very clear moments of showing what discernment actually looks like. When Bugs was shown a, 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 a some kind of situation where there was a good choice and a bad choice, chances are you would all of a sudden see poof on his shoulder a little angel and a little devil, right? You're a certain generation, you're like, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I watched all those reruns when I was a kid. And that little angel would tell him, you need to do the virtuous thing, you need to do the good thing, you should forgive, you should do the right thing. And the little devil would be there saying, nah, go for it, right? <clears throat> little red horns, tail, right? The whole nine. And while, while, while it's a goofy little kid, it, like it's a goofy kid illustration, it's the truth. Like, that's where the battle is won. That's where the battle is fought. The battle's not fought in protest and in Congress. The battle's fought right in the human heart. That the sin that I struggle with, the sin that I fall to, the sin that, that has a hold in my life, I listen to the angel as opposed to the devil. I turn away and say, no, I'm not going to go down that road. Because the devil has a handful of tactics. But he's really good with them. The difference between a saint and a sinner is a very, very thin line. The difference between a saint and, and someone who falls from grace is a very, very is a, is just a few decisions. There's a great story. Um, you may have heard me use it before, but if, if you have, bear with me. Um, Leonardo da Vinci uh, painted one of the most famous, beautiful images of the Last Supper that exists in, in all of Christendom. What, he, what da Vinci would do is, when he was painting, a, when he was doing a painting, it's a beautiful fresco, when he would do a painting, though, what he would do is, is he would get human models to be the faces of all the people. Right? He wanted to have a source picture of a person to be like the, the face so what he would do is, is like he would kind of scout out people to be those, those characters. So when he was painting this, 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 last, this image of the Last Supper, the first person he started with, he was looking for Jesus. So like he's walking around the town, he's, he's out in the city, and he's finding, like, he's looking at different people and just kind of like watching people. You know, you've ever been to New Orleans and just kind of sat down, had a cup of coffee, and just enjoyed watching people? It's a lot of fun. But like he would do this with intention of like, where is Jesus? And he saw somebody passing, and he was like, that's my Jesus. Guy had a smile on his face. He was like kind of a light behind it. Like he just, he, full of life, joy, right? You could just see there was something about him that was like, that, that's my Jesus. So Da Vinci invites him, says, come on in. And he, and he sits him down, and he paints, it, he paints the image, and beautiful. He's got his Jesus right in the center of the, of the image. Over the next few years, he would get every one of, his, every one of the apostles, 11 of the 12, Peter, Andrew, James, John, right, Thomas, all of them. He had all of his, his apostles except one, and it was Judas. So Da Vinci was looking for his Judas, couldn't find him, looking for his Judas, couldn't find him. And finally he just said, you know what, I give up. He left the masterpiece undone for about seven or eight years until one day he's walking through the town square and he sees it. 
that's his Judas. Now, first of all, that, that got to be a rough feeling if you're the guy who's like, I just saw my Judas, right? But like the guy was like worn. It's just one of those faces that was kind of worn from life. Kind of gray. A little bit sad. He says, that's my Judas. So he invites the guy, goes to the fresco, sits him down in a chair, and he's painting. At one point during it, the man starts to break down crying. Da Vinci looks at him and says, what, what's wrong? I'm sorry, did I do something wrong? And the man says, Master, did you not recognize me? And he says, no, sir, I'm sorry, where, where do I know you from? He said, years ago, I sat in this very chair, and you painted me as Jesus. The difference between a saint and a sinner is a very, very thin line. The difference between the condemnation of Judas and the, and the reconciliation of Peter is accepting God's forgiveness. It's accepting God's mercy. Church fathers look at this Gospel. One of the things they say about it, if you notice... The, the landowner knows exactly what's going on. The weeds and the wheat, they're both coming up. But the servants want to go out and they want to, they want to pull all the weeds immediately. And the landowner says, no, let's come to harvest time. Then we will separate the weeds and the wheat. The weeds to be burned, the wheat to be, har- the, the wheat to be held onto. The wheat to be saved. Church fathers say that this, this moment of waiting, this moment of patience... It's actually Jesus giving a teaching on, on God's invitation to repentance. We're not quick to judge. So if, you, if right now, as you're sitting in church tonight, you're like, like I, Father, like, look, I, I, I understand what you're saying about the devil and his tactics, and you're right, he is. He kind of does suck, and he is kind of rough, and I don't like him, right? But he's kind of got his claws in me right now, and I just can't get away. Great. You are the perfect person to show up and to receive God's mercy. If it's been a struggle from time to time to like live, live the Christian faith and to actually believe what I'm saying, great, you are, a perfect, you are the perfect spot to be able to receive God's mercy. But don't wait. God's, God's kingdom is real. The power of the enemy is real. But His mercy trumps the enemy's power all day, every day. There's a very fine line between a saint and a sinner. And most of it relies on our ability or our uh, desire for the mercy of God. That mercy is the strongest uh, gift that God has ever left us with. Today, as we come to Mass, where is it in your life that you need God's mercy? Where is it in your life that what empty well do you continue to go back to over and over and over and over again, thinking that it's going to quench your thirst, and all it does, it just makes you thirstier? What place do you you need God's mercy to shine, and what place do you need God to heal? Because God gives us time and time and time again 
Like He gives us more and more of it so that we can repent, so that we can come back to Him. But at some point, harvest time comes. And today, as we come to this Mass, we, we, be moved with, we, we be moved by the compassion that God has for us, by the mercy that God has for us. That we would choose to no longer be weeds in the kingdom of God. But that we would be wheat. That we would bear His fruit and build His kingdom on earth.